are listening to Doing Law Differently. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hi everyone, I'm Lucy Dickens and you're listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Today I'm talking to Karen Sandler, who's a partner and chief knowledge and innovation officer at Gilbert and Tobin. No doubt you've heard of Gilbert and Tobin. They're an Australian law firm that advises clients on their most significant corporate transactions, and they're quite well known in the profession for being forward-thinking and innovative. Innovation is one of those words that lots of people throw around and kind of wonder what it means. So that's where I kick off that interview with Karen by asking her, what does innovation actually mean at G&T? And for some examples of what that looks like. Karen's role involves designing tools and services to support the firm's legal service delivery. Her team of 50 works across transformation, knowledge management, legal tech, managed services and project management, and they implement innovation within the firm, but also with their clients to help their clients to optimize their own legal functions. Now, don't worry if your team is not 50 in your firm, let alone your innovation team. What I've done during this interview is brought Karen back and asked her for her advice to implement innovation at all different levels. So even if you don't have human power of 50, there are definitely still things you can do to make change happen. The other thing I love about this interview with Karen is that she unpacks some of the buzzwords. You know, we talk about legal project management, we talk about process re-engineering. What do those things actually mean? So we touch on that during the interview. Enjoy. Karen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. And one thing that I find really interesting about G&T is that not only do you have a big focus on innovation within your firm, but you also help your clients to optimize their own legal functions through your consulting arm. And I think that's very clever. Before I talk to you about the external bit, let's start with your internal operations. And I'm interested to know what does innovation mean to you and what does it look like? Look, innovation at G&T is quite broad reaching. We're very focused on developing the internal capability of our lawyers to ensure that we actually have a sustainable firm going forward. And then in addition to that, really looking at transforming the way in which we do our work at Gilbert and Tobin, obviously with technology changing the way it is, realistically, if you think about what was done yesterday, we need to challenge and make sure that that is what should be done tomorrow. With that in mind, we have spent a lot of time process re-engineering a lot of our processes, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at our legal matter types, spending a lot of time with the lawyers, but not only the lawyers, you know, spending a lot of time with technologists and legal project management and other disciplines as well to really rethink the way in which we deliver our client services. So transformation is quite holistic. I think we take quite an integrated approach to innovation within the organisation and it very much is part of the culture and DNA. I suppose GNT is quite a young firm. It's always had the branding in the market around being very innovative and doing things differently. And, you know, innovation is just then a continuation of what we are doing on a day-to-day basis. So what our hope for innovation is, is that it is business as usual and that it is ingrained in the way in which we do things. And that really stems from the leadership down. You know, when I reflect on me being made partner last year, I was made partner from an innovation role. Now, that was quite disruptive in the context of legal. So it's really around having strong leadership, strong discipline for doing things differently. And that looks at both the capability of our lawyers, the way in which our lawyers do things, and also the way in which we service our clients. I 
found really interesting about your description there that you started with our lawyer's capability. I like that because when a lot of people think about innovation, they think about what's something new that I can create or what's some technology I can use or what's some new product I can build. Very few people think of innovation as looking at their people and how they can build and develop them. So I find that really interesting. Can you tell me some more about how that looks? What are some of the things you're doing with your people to encourage and foster this innovation? Absolutely. So I think as a firm, we are very committed to working with our lawyers and, you know, everyone within the firm to develop their capability. I'm of the definite view that technology does not solve problems in isolation. Mm. So my mantra generally is technology will only make your processes more inefficient if you use it on an inefficient process. So it is absolutely critical to work with our lawyers hand in hand to optimise our processes because ultimately they are the ones that are going to deliver our legal services. So done a lot of things. Obviously, we're looking at the capability framework of our lawyers, what will be required to be the T-shaped lawyer going forward. You know, obviously, you need a very strong vertical in legal, but there are going to be other skills, things like legal project management, process optimization, design thinking, technological literacy. So obviously, understanding technology is incredibly important, and you need to make sure that our lawyers can work alongside the technology. Again, I think technology is going to optimize the way in which we deliver our legal services but it's not going to do it alone mm-hmm. so we spend a lot of time developing the capabilities I've got a lot of my team members that sit and work hand in hand with our lawyers on matters to either you know get them used to the technology and actually what's happened now is many are absolutely self-sufficient so when a matter comes in and they know that they could use artificial intelligence as an example to complete part of their review they know that that is available and they can actively use it and that is our goal is to upskill the lawyers that we don't necessarily need to add any additional overhead to matters we want our lawyers to be the best possible lawyers that they could absolutely be so there's a huge focus on that you know we've also run projects in the past for example project um, invigorate which court gave approval to last year which values, for example, innovation in the same way as they value client billable work. So when they go into their performance reviews, there is a certain number of hours that they can spend on innovation-related projects. And bear in mind, these are strategic projects, but that they can spend on that. And when they go into the performance reviews, it looks no different to what they've spent on client work and what they've spent on innovation. I think that's really important because I think if the message is that you want to be an innovative firm and you want to make sure that you are really um, pushing ahead in terms of the delivery of client legal services, you need to ensure that obviously you are valuing it in a very similar way. And we certainly are doing that. Mm, That's interesting. There are two things that come out of that for me. The first is you say about your team working hand in hand with the professionals who are delivering the service. And that's something that I've seen from my experience. Obviously, I work at a much, much smaller firm. We're 15 to 20 people. And whenever I am improving services in a practice area that I do not practice in, I do the same. I sit with the lawyers or the professionals who are delivering the service and I, you know, spend a few days with them because improving the service, you just need to be working hand in hand with the people who are delivering it. It's not the case of getting an outsider to come in, re-engineer all your processes. They really need to have that deep understanding of what's, what's going on, which is obviously your experience too. Absolutely. And our lawyers are best placed to do that because they work at the call face on the data. Yeah. And the second thing that comes out of that is your your comments in relation to getting the team involved in the KPIs, measuring performance and how you're incentivizing things like innovation. And you say that you've made it part of uh, performance reviews. 
How are you measuring this? Because innovation isn't something that you can put a dollar figure on necessarily, or even, I don't know if you're tracking time, perhaps that's part of it, but how are you measuring that? It's an interesting one because I was recently at a colloquium at Harvard, um, which was run by the Centre for the Legal Profession over there. And that was the exact topic of this two-day colloquium that I went to. How do you actually measure innovation? Mm -hmm. And it is really hard to sometimes measure innovation. But we look at it both from a quantitative and a qualitative perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, if we can then, part of the work that we did with some of our lawyers, we looked to re-engineer our due diligence process. And as part of that, we developed smart search tools, which basically meant that for certain um, legal searches that one needs to do as part of a matter, um, our lawyers spent a lot of time, and it wasn't very high-value work. It was sort of repetitive sort of manual work. Spent a lot of time doing that. And so we looked at it and we said, surely there's a better way of doing that. Mm -hmm. So we actually looked at the market see where there was any technology and there wasn't we looked at the processes and then we actually developed something internally so whilst on the one hand the measurement over there is a huge reduction in the number of hours to deliver that that component of our client work in addition to that obviously lawyers prefer not doing that type of work so there's a huge qualitative metric over there Mm -hmm. as well i think it's really important when we approach innovation we look at it from two lenses both the quantitative as well as qualitative and then really having the client at the heart of it all so does it improve the service of the client both in terms of the delivery in terms of time and efficiency possibly a reduction in fees as well but then just generally the broader experience as well you know you can meet the client's deadline in an appropriate manner than like. So it is a tricky one sometimes to measure, but certainly something that's very important. I mean, I can think of another project at the moment where actually we sort of put a limit on a yearly basis for each lawyer as to how many hours they can spend that they could get budget relief effectively, but they could spend many, many hours. And many of our lawyers do because they're very invested in innovation generally. And frankly, they really want to continually improve the way in which we deliver our legal services. But there was one project of such strategic significance that we know it is so helpful and beneficial to the firm that we give more and more budget relief for that. So that's a good example of where, you know, a lot of those outcomes will be very qualitative in nature, but we're not really fussed about what the billables sort of look like on the other um, side because of the benefit that we know it will have. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely see that as well, in, even in my role. And sometimes a person's skill set really lies in that innovation and development. And you sort of say, well, never mind the, to the extent they don't want to do it or to the extent their role changes or whatever it might be, never mind the billables, because actually this is where the value is with that person and it's the work they enjoy. And, you know, you can kind of get the benefit, both of you benefit. Now, G&T are obviously a big business and you have lots of practice areas and there's lots of things going on. How do you know where to start? How do you decide what projects you want to work on? (laughs) You laugh at that. So I guess you've been tackling that one. (laughs) Look, we've been on our innovation journey now for quite some time. You know, it stems back from already 2015. And what we did, we took quite a strategic approach to the way in which we started our innovation efforts. And obviously, as you say, we've got a huge volume of practice groups. Mm. So what we did, we looked for um, matter types that accounted for 50% of revenue of our firm. So we were then able to say, okay, these are the significant matter types, as an example, an initial public offer or a share acquisition or a level finance transaction. And we then sat in a room with our lawyers and, as I said to you before, legal project managers, design experts, so that we've got that diversity of thought and we looked to map out those processes 
obviously there were some areas that the lawyers automatically identified as areas for potential and that were key pain points and we looked to then re-engineer those and that has been a work in progress when i reflect on the fact that we started our due diligence re-engineering in now so it would have been 2017 we are still on that journey because it's very iterative in nature what we wanted to do is and the smart search good example of that we wanted to get some really quick wins on the board because that creates momentum within an organization and it creates momentum with people so they can see you know there's a direct benefit and there's quite quick benefit and then you can move on to the next so it was an area of prioritization initially Mm -hmm. and it is difficult i mean we now have quite a sophisticated sort of continuous improvement framework in place where we look to prioritize initiatives and we've got a huge volume of them you know we ran an innovation takeover about it was about a year ago now within the firm and we basically had a week of learning for our lawyers as well as where people could post suggestions we had little post boxes around the office so it was a whole idea around innovations continuous improvement and the like and you know we're still moving through those ideas because these are long-term ideas and again as I said to you we rolled out a particular tool for due diligence now of three years ago or so we are still iterating it's probably gone through four or five versions of that and that's important because you need to continually take the feedback from the lawyers then embed it within the product then change the process so it is iterative and I think that's absolutely important I think it's important for us to know at the outset that this is a continuous sort of process and it's not something that has a start and an end date so it is hard to prioritize but I think if you have a clear strategic vision within an organization and I understand that I understand what GNT's strategic vision is and if you align your innovation vision alongside that I think you probably have quite good success in that area. So that's been important from our end. So really your starting point was revenue. Yeah. And as it's morphed, you know, there's been other issues and other things that we've obviously wanted to include as part of the innovation journey. We've done that. So capability is a really good example. Capability is not for us necessarily revenue driven, Mm. but absolutely at the heart and soul of what we do on a day-to-day basis. So Mm. spending time and effort in sort of re-engineering that. So legal project management is a really good example. I mean, we collaborated with the Australian Institute of Project Management to develop a first-to-market legal certification for the legal market in project management. And we've actually now put 95% of our senior lawyers through that program. And what we were doing over there is, you know, we know that that is critical, that capability development. So going back to our people, we know it is Mm. critical. And it's not, yes, that counts for 20% of revenue or 30% of revenue. It's got nothing to do with that. But we know that is absolutely critical. So we have to invest in that. So we've done a lot in that vein as well. So tell us about the Legal Project Management Certification. What does that involve? As I said, it was a collaboration with the Australian Institute of Project mm-hmm. Management. We've now also got a certification for our clients that we can talk to um, sort of separately. But it is a certification mm-hmm. of demonstrating effective project management within their work. So they go and they get assessed. And what this does is there are some lawyers within an organisation who are inherently outstanding at project management. It's not necessarily something that one has been taught at law school, but actually in terms of organisation and legal project management capability, they are outstanding. And then Mm. others you know, might not be as good in that. So Mm. it's really about creating awareness of that capability and making sure that we can then effectively deliver our legal projects on time, on budget, you know, making lawyers Mm -hmm. aware of what does that scope mean? You know, how do you engage with your clients? So it gives them the necessary skills to make them the best project managers they can be alongside being great lawyers. 
which are skills in our view that be absolutely critical going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. They definitely are critical. And I think it's interesting that you recognize that not everybody has these skills. It's easy. I think I'm Project management is something that just comes naturally to me. I'm just organized and efficient by my nature. So when I'm working with people who aren't, I look at something and I think it's really obvious that you would do that before you would do that. But the answer is that it's not. Just because it's obvious to me doesn't mean it's obvious to everybody else. And project management is a great example of one of the things, like you say, that we're not taught at university, but it's skills that are really, really important to have in the workforce and that we need to be teaching people because not everybody just does it and we shouldn't just expect everybody to just do it we're taught most of the things we need absolutely out there in the industry there is a lot of buzzwords sort of floating around and for us it's also very important to ground that and sort of demystify that for lawyers so what is legal project management it is good matter management it is responding to clients in a timely matter giving them updates as to where you are out of scope having those early conversations so it really is for a lot of people just what they would consider to be common sense and it's something that we absolutely as I said and as you agree is very important to us as an organization so we were very keen to invest in that. Mm. But it gives you the opportunity to set your own standards around it too so not just relying on the individual but say the, the business's expectation is that you respond within such and such a time or whatever it might be. A quick break from the interview to let you know about a new service that I'm offering. For almost 10 years, I've designed and delivered productized legal services that have transformed the way law firms operate. I've now designed a coaching program where I'll teach you how to design services that truly meet your customers' needs, package them for sale, and systematize and streamline service delivery so that you can work smarter, not harder. Ultimately, it's about simplifying your business model so you can escape the billable hour and the best part, spend your time on work you love. If you're keen to learn more, visit lucydickens.com.au and book in for a free 30-minute discovery call. Something you touched on before is about your approach to innovation as being multidisciplinary. So you bring together people from outside the law and people with all sorts of different skill sets. A question that I hear a lot from people, particularly people who listen to this podcast, is how do we actually do that? Who do we look for? What does that look like for you? Who do you look for in your team when you're thinking, let's think bigger than law? Who are you thinking? What skills do you look for? I suppose if I reflect on the T-shaped lawyer and what skills our lawyers will be required to have going forward to, in my view, be successful in the longer term in the law, I would say I look for those skill sets. So as part of our sort of approach to innovation has been an integrated approach to my team. Mm -hmm. So I lead the legal service innovation team and it actually has in excess of 50 people in it now, Mm -hmm. which some sit in a legal project management team, some sit in a transformation team, some sit in legal informatics, which is really our e-discovery team, as well as, you know, additional capabilities such as artificial intelligence and data analytics and the like. And then we've also got some a document review team as well. And then obviously a GNT Innovate, which is our consulting capability. But we bring together a lot of different skill sets and some are technologists, some are design thinkers, some are experts in agile. Some are experts in legal project management. Some are um, knowledge lawyers as well who bring skills of knowledge management and we also embed that with innovation. A lot of our clients and a lot of our internal changes are around creating efficiencies and a lot of it stems from more efficient knowledge management when you think Mm -hmm. about the fact that we are business of law. 
So I think it's quite important. And I think also the diversity of those skill sets. You know, not everyone is a lawyer. Some are lawyers who have now um, given up the law. I mean, I'm a good example of that. I was a lawyer for many, many years, and now I focus more on the innovation side. But I've obviously got that deep understanding of the law. So when I'm looking at process re-engineering and working with clients and working with the internal business, I have a good appreciation as to mm -hmm. where the significant pain points are for the organisation. And then, as I said, we've got lawyers that are trained in lots of different uh, disciplines now design thinkers, also data analytic experts, which is obviously incredibly important. So I think for us that has been um, key to our strategy. And I think it's always hard because people ask me often around, you know, who do you get for legal operations professionals? And there's always this view as to whether you need a lawyer who then has additional skills. I think it could work either way. I think you need the key skills of, you know, good communication, proactive, really passionate about wanting to transform. Um, yeah. uh, you know, organisations and processes, because I think that passion is so important and can't be underestimated. Mm. So a lot of different skill sets, I think, are needed. But certainly we've found the diversity of thought and putting it all within one team, which is not a siloed approach at all, and means that we can bring in relevant resources when we need them. I've been asked that question about who should we get for a legal operations position. I've been asked that quite often too. And actually my response is pretty similar. You don't need somebody with a law degree. You need somebody who's got the motivation, the intrinsic motivation who wants to make things better. It's an interesting question. There's, it's Because it's sort of still an evolving career path, it's not really, a, I mean, it's not supposed to be a one size fits all, is it? That's the whole point. It's a, You're supposed to think outside the box. Now, I mentioned before, and you've just touched on then about your external component to your innovation team, which is your consulting capability. I really like this. So what you do, my understanding, and you can fill in the spaces, is that you make your team's capability available to your clients to help them to transform their own legal operations. Now, this is clever. Obviously, this is clever just because legal operations is is fun and interesting area anyway, but also because what you've done is you've taken knowledge and skill from within your firm and looked at how you can then sell that on, which is smart business thinking. So talk to me about that capability. What does it look like and how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So we originally set out to help our clients and I spent a lot of time with clients, as does a lot of my team members really looking at their pain points because what's clear is law firms are facing lots of challenges in terms of embedding technology, changing the way in which we work, responding to market challenges, etc. But in-house teams are actually responding to the same types of challenges. You know, they might be different in nature, but ultimately they are trying to re-engineer and deal with um, far more work than necessarily they can um, through their human, um, you know, people within the team. So there was so much demand for the service that actually at the back end of last year, we launched this sort of um, consulting capability, GNT Innovate. And we partner with clients in very many ways from clients who are looking to automate particular documents because they use these particular documents almost as precedents on a regular basis, but they feel that they can enable the business to do it themselves. So you can do that through document automation. So we can do it in discrete components like that. But then more and more recently, we were actually engaged in broader consulting pieces with our clients. And it takes many different shapes. But one of it is capability development. So not dissimilar to the journey we've been on at Gilbert and Tobin. And that's really nice because you can sort of share learnings across the different pieces of work. And we've obviously got quite a bit of experience because we've been on the journey within GNT for sort of five years now. 
but a lot of it is around capability development. You know, again, making sure that in-house teams have the appropriate skills to survive long into the future. Other things that is helping and mentoring through some continuous improvement projects. Yeah. So uh, again, not all in-house teams have dedicated legal operations professionals. You know, it is certainly quite prolific in the US, but not yet in Australia. Mm. So you might find even sometimes with a big team, if there is one dedicated legal operations professional, it might not be enough to push ahead with as many sort of transformation initiatives they have as part of their roadmap. So we've been in, as I said, we've been in a capability uplift, really helping along the road for continuous improvement sort of initiatives, you know, helping organisations think about what does their innovation and technology roadmap look like over the next one to three years, because that's very much front of mind for some of our organisations that we're sort of working with. And then we work with organisations around, you know, they might be embedding a document management system and they need some help around the design of the document management system or thinking through what the key challenges might be around that and change management as well. So it is quite varied, but whether it be innovation, roadmaps, technology adoption and technology implementation, we don't tend to help with the actual implementation of the technology just because there are lots of consultants that do that outside, mm-hmm. but really the the uplift, the change management side of things is something that we really focus on. And it helps having done it yourselves. And I noticed that with consulting that I do, when you're in the thick of it and you're still in the thick of it, you're still practicing what you preach. You're not just saying, you know, here's some things that you could do and these might work. You're saying, we've done this, we've tried it, we've, we're still trying it and we're testing. I think that really makes a difference in terms of the results that then your clients see because you're on the ground and you're in it. What kind of response have you had from offering this service? It's obviously you're thinking how you can serve your clients beyond the traditional practice of law. And often that's not what clients come to us for. They come to us for what they see as a legal issue and you're now offering something else. So what kind of response have you had? So it's been enormously positive. I think that's certainly shifting in the market around looking to law firms for purely legal services. Mm. I think there is certainly appetite from in-house teams to partner with law firms in ways in which we've never seen before. So as I said to you, initially we had sort of done this oral as a value add that we would work with a lot of our strategic clients and provide these services alongside the legal work. But what we've actually seen is that there is huge appetite Mm -hmm. and there is also appetite within corporate legal departments for these type of services. So to be honest, at the moment, we are running an absolute capacity. It's just a matter of how quickly I can grow the team because (laughs) there's huge opportunity out there. And um, we've been involved in some amazing matters. And a lot of these consulting pieces last for a long period of time. You know, they're not ones that just end after, unless it's a discrete piece of work. As I said to you before, transformation is a long-term journey. So go on for a long period of time. But it's been really exciting. We've made amazing people and we've worked with teams of all sizes. So, you know, we've recently worked with a huge global team of in excess of 120 people that necessitated a lot of international travel and sort of capability uplift across that entire team and then on the flip side we've worked with teams of four and five and they present very different types of challenges but it's been overwhelmingly positive as I said you know it's just a matter of keeping up the volume of work coming in at the moment. One of the benefits I think from your client's perspective is having you it's almost like hold handing because we can have all the ideas in the world about how we might like to change or how we might like to improve our service, but it's the implementation that's actually the hard bit. And when you've got somebody like your team to help you through it and to hold you accountable, I think that makes all the difference in terms of things actually getting done. 
Absolutely, because the challenge for all um, in-house teams, and it's no different in law form firms as well, is mm. unfortunately, you know, time is an issue. Yeah. You know, there is huge amounts of legal work, um, more legal work than most can actually handle. So the first thing that will go will be the projects that aren't yeah. necessarily client-driven. So, mm. you know, not something that they need to respond tomorrow from the business. So it absolutely is what I think it does help in keeping people accountable. Yeah. And I also think what we're starting to see within the organisations is really strong leadership for this, because I think that is what makes all the difference. So strong leadership, strong accountability is saying this is the way we work. It's not only legal. Thinking about continuous improvement, the way in which we roll out these initiatives are part of our day-to-day operations and one needs to sort of proceed in that basis. So we're starting to see that real shift. Obviously, it will take a bit of time, but, um, you know, certainly from what we've seen, um, heading in the right direction for sure. Absolutely. Now, we mentioned before that obviously Gilbert and Tobin is a, is a big firm. I think I read that you employ over 700 people. Is that still right? Maybe it's gone up a bit by now. So bringing it down to a smaller level, if you were giving some advice to a small firm, a law firm or in-house team, what's some crucial first steps that you think that they should take if they haven't got as much human power as you do, but they want to start this innovation journey? Where should they start? I always say it's um, great to start with reading Richard Susskind's books, mm-hmm. either one of them. <laughs> I think it's a good foundation for where things are going and the disruption in the industry. There's a huge amount of information out there. I think one needs to be mindful also of what one reads. That's why I yeah. suggest, you know, Richard Susskind could be a good one because I get a lot of students. I do quite a bit of work with universities and the like in thinking about how we can challenge the curricula and um, what we need to do to sort of change the way in which our law students come out of law school. But I think as part of that, it's important to really think about what hype there is out there as well. You know, what is the AI capable of, etc. Because I get a lot of calls from really worried students saying you know will I get a job if I can't code and I say please don't worry about that so I think and unfortunately you know one does need to remove a bit of the hype that is going on out there so I do think though but immersing yourself in what is happening in our industry is absolutely important just understanding the landscape and why we really need to do what we need to do and I think and I'll say Richard Sussman actually just recently said this he said we overestimate what's going to happen in the short term but we horribly are underestimating what's going to happen in the long term and I think that's absolutely correct so I think doing that and then I would say just start Mm -hmm. because the concern is people worry so much about where to start I'd say get on a whiteboard map one of your big processes that you'll do on a day-to-day basis look for areas that are pain points and then look for ways in which you can solve that. And I don't necessarily mean that you need to solve that through technology. In fact, I think often process changes first are very important and then you can bring the technology in later. But I think what that does, it creates momentum and it can creates that sort of mindset. And for me, everything is around mindset because I often even say it over here, why do I bring technology regularly into the organisation or why am I so focused on the capability? For me, it's all around the mindset. If you can get people to be agile in their approach, to deal with change quite easily, to shift from one technology to the other, I believe that will be the true foundations for a firm that is very focused on innovation long term so as I said for me the two things would be really immerse yourself in whatever is out there and understand what the landscape is making sure that you do understand that there obviously is some stuff out there that 
actually might not be exactly where things are at the moment, particularly in light of technology. And the other piece is just start. Just start. I love it. And sounds like a perfect place to finish, actually, with the key. We will stop here so people can go and just start and they can get on with it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Karen. That has been a wealth of information and knowledge that's been great. Thank you for sharing it all with us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. So that's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It makes a big difference because it really helps other people to find out about the show. And lastly, if you or someone who you know is doing law differently, then send them my way at doinglawdifferently.com.au forward slash guest. I'd love to have as much variety on the show as possible. So do send them over. See you next week. You've been listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Visit doinglawdifferently.com.au.